Welcome to the Ryan and Nate's Business Podcast. Come listen to these two blue-collar business guys. Nate, your go-to automotive repairer, and Ryan, your local heating and air contractor, talk about business, how to help you, and hear stories from our local unsung heroes. Community matters to them, and so does a healthy business. Here's Ryan and Nate. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast today. We have my good friend, Matt Balecki, with us. Um, he is the b- business banking representative for M&T Bank. And today, I'm, I'm just excited about being able to talk about small business and what a good relationship with their bank can be. Like, what should they expect? Um, so that's why we had you on. So thanks for coming into our podcast room and being here with us today. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to it. I'm glad, glad to be here. So for the most part, for I, I should, we wouldn't say for the most part, but often we have our friends in. So this is what's super fun because it's just a fun conversation. Yeah, we just talk to our friends all day. Yeah, it's so great. it's friends, but then even people we don't know, they become our friends. So it's like friends we haven't met yet. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I think we have a lot of friends who are successful, right? Like we're in a super good community. Blessed. Yep. Super blessed to have people that are very accomplished like Matt. Mm. So. So that's a good like business nugget that you just dropped right off the bat. First thirty seconds, yeah. Right. Surround yourself with good people. Okay, yeah, I didn't even remember what I just said. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Surround yourself with good people. Walk and live and be known in a good community, and you just end up having. When something comes up, you're like, "Hey, I got, I got a guy. I can call a guy." Mm-hmm. And so Matt's our bank guy. He is our bank guy. Yep. And I mean, he's an employee of M and T, but he's been around banking for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so we want to hear about M and T and your relationship yeah. there, and some of your what you know what hap- how you've progressed in in your career, um, but then also just in general business banking. Like, what can small business get from their bank? What should they expect? So, but he's a super accomplished guy. So, whoa, talk to me about whoa, that. I, I don't know about that. You're a running back in college. Yeah, you did yeah. some research. Yeah, he was a oh. running back in college. Yeah, He's, you're told to be a running back, though. Yeah, yeah. People people say that. I was actually ten pounds, actually fifteen pounds heavier too, when I was playing football in college. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I was a I was a bit of a beast. I had good downhill speed, mm-hmm. but yeah. I wasn't as agile. So like once I got the ball, I was downhill fast. So okay. I uh, yeah, I wasn't much of a juker. I was lower lower on the shoulder and trying to run people over. Like a Derrick Henry style? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you're a big guy. I'm like, and Derrick Henry's a big guy. I mean, you've seen that guy's legs. They're like this. It's insane. But I would, so you, Reggie Bush was playing at USC when okay. I was playing. And I used to like watch Reggie Bush play. And he was like so shifty. And I was like, man, I wish I could be like Reggie Bush. <laughs> but I'm like, nah. But I would, I would watch him, uh, yeah, on Saturday nights and be like, I got to get some of those skills. But yeah, never, never was shifty. Never had a good spin move. Good stiff arm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, not, not shifty. Mm. All right, so tell tell us how you went to college, running back, transitioned to banking. What's that story? How did you get to? Well, that's actually funny. You tie those two together because they're actually connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, so I played football, basketball, played sports my whole life. Um, when I was getting recruited for football from different schools, University of Rochester was one of those schools I got recruited by. And there was a guy that I got connected with on my recruiting chip who worked for M&T Bank. And like we connected, we had lunch on the recruiting trip. Good dude, um, actually ran the investments and insurance business at the bank. He was the president of M&T Securities. So, and he was a running back. 
and we just had a good conversation. He was there to talk to the recruits about Rochester and about opportunities after that. And so I ended up going to Rochester and I stayed in touch with him throughout college just because he was a good guy. He helped me, he helped me get there. And I had no intentions of working for a bank okay. when I was in college. What no did you want to do? Yeah, yeah. What did you want to do? I, I wanted to be part of the CIA or the <laughs> FBI right. or like right. I could the see State that. Department. I could see yeah. that. Yeah, it was funny. When I was a little kid in kindergarten, I uh, created this, we had to like create this little image of like what we wanted to be. And I created mm-hmm. like an FBI agent. Okay. Like I built this thing out. That's what I wanted to be. So yeah, no intentions of mm-hmm. working for the bank. But as I got towards the end of the end of school, as a senior, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Spent four years at college. I'm like, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So because I had continued to stay in touch with this guy, he's like, hey, why don't you come work in banking? We have a great leadership development program that you can get into. Try it out and then kind of see how it goes. And yeah, that's how I started in banking in 2009 through a management and development program in the retail bank. Man, well, just driving this point home about just hanging, the, the community hang out with. Like connections, opportunities Connections come. are key. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. No, that's really, really good. Yeah. So I started in 2009. Uh, yeah. This and what did you do in 2009? And then you probably yeah. had 100 jobs between now and 2009 within M&T, right? Yeah. So I've been with the bank since 2009, started in the management development program in retail. So I was in a bank branch. So I started essentially as a teller and worked my way up to be an assistant manager at the end of the program. Uh, but throughout that time, I got connected to all the different divisions of the banks. We'd go up to to Buffalo, where we're headquartered, and we would learn about different divisions. We'd meet the executives. We would do team building stuff. We would do leadership development stuff. Um, so we're learning the bank, but then we're learning like how to operate a retail branch. So um, yeah, I learned all the way from the teller up to the management side, and then you were a teller for a couple weeks. That is yeah. awesome. I was a not a, not a great teller. Did anyone come? I, I always imagine like some kid coming in with like his piggy bank jar and being like, "Bam!" on the counter. I never had Did that. Did you have it? No. I okay. was just I was nervous. I was like, I don't want to mess up this cash transaction. I don't want to deposit yeah. a check or cash a check that's not a legitimate check. Like fraud is out of control. Yeah. More so now than it was back then. But I just I didn't want to like mess someone's money up. Like the cash I had in my hand. So I was slow. I like took my time to make sure everything was okay. So you were, you said you were only there for two weeks. Is it because you were on a different track, but they wanted like everyone to at least put some time in at the teller level? Is that why? Yeah. So the idea is you want to learn every position of the branch through this program. So you, in order to kind of coach and develop tellers and know the operations of the branch, because a lot of that is behind the teller line, they want us to be a teller. So we know like, hey, that when you cash a check, this is what you look for when you're... um depositing a check when you're doing these different transactions this is what to look for yeah so yeah, yeah. i hate messing with money i i worked at golden corral and i love this is probably still my second favorite job to this day i love what i do now but is, my second is it because favorite you got the leftovers no nah, dude straight wasn't for the food i was just i loved um i don't know it was just a game to me and I, it was i it was just a game so i was the host guy and sat people or whatever and the the owner would be like, "Hey, man, we have like four, like fourteen or twenty military members just came in, and they're like, oh, they can sit right here." And I just like loved every minute of it. But they put me on the cashier one time, and I was like twenty dollars off. And he was like, "You're never touching the cash register again." So I hate messing with the money, and yeah. I was so nervous, like just giving people their money back. Yeah, man, same it's way, same way. N- Nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah. No one uses cash anymore anyway, so you'd probably be pretty good. 
I feel like you can moonlight. I can go back to Golden Crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think you, I think you can go back to Golden Crown. Great. I've reached enlightenment. I'm now. I'm, I'm learning something new every podcast about you. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine you being a host. Really? At a restaurant? Yeah. Oh, I loved it, dude. I had a little walkie-talkie. Yeah, they could sit right here. And then, like, when I wanted people to get up, I would just like start taking their place, and they'd be like, "I wasn't done with that." I'd be like, "Oh yeah, we're just really busy. Let me take that for you." Like, get. How up. was your greeting when they walked in? Very good question because it's the most important. Oh uh, no, I didn't have to greet anybody. I was at the end of the row. Like the greeter sent them to me, and then it was my job to seat them. Yeah. So I was a seater. I don't Got know. It. What do you want to call me? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there's sure. nothing wor- I don't worse. I don't think there's an official position yeah. at the Golden Crow Handbook. Yeah. So. I actually I judge restaurants by that. It's like I often go in and like, why would you put this person as the host? Like, there's no eye contact or really? you know, it's just like grump. Like, I immediately it could be a great restaurant. I'm yeah. not going to name some in our local area that I've been to, and it's like, man, the host spot is so so important. Yeah, and I really dislike staying there and being like, okay, do I seat myself or mm-hmm. like yeah. what's going on? Because the rules are like, yeah, there's so many different. Like yeah. way they ways they do it, you don't know the rules when you go in, especially this first time. So it's important. I hate when someone doesn't sit me at a booth and I'm right next to the booth and I feel weird being like, "Can I sit at the booth?" You know what I mean? I just feel like pretentious. And like there's a table. I just I don't know. I'd rather sit at the booth, man. It's comfy. <laughs> All so. right, so let's pull back. Yeah, let's pull <laughs> back. We've, we've 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 traversed some ground from football to um, uh, banking. Start off being a teller. teller. What host. was your next job? Yeah, so my my job during that program, it was never specific a teller. I was specific as a teller. I was essentially a management development mm-hmm. trainee for the whole year. So after I graduated the program, I I was actually a business development officer. So I worked with the branch manager on essentially managing the business relationships that the clients house at that branch and also working with individual clients on their, their personal banking needs. So I, I did that for a year, then I moved to be an assistant manager for about a year, and I was promoted to a branch manager. So I I, I ran our branch over in Fells Point for two years, mm. uh, and then I was. You ever have any Ravens players come in? Uh no. For real? No. You ever meet Steve Fashadi? No. Oh, that's asinine. No. If I'm if I'm branch manager of MIT Bank, I'm putting in the contract. I at least get the like. Hang out with Steve for five minutes. You want to go to like the box seats. Yeah. At the, at well, the stadium. I, I weasel my way into one or two a year anyway. So I love the the club. Or They're not called club, but what are they called, Matt? The suites? Yeah, the suites. Yeah. Yeah. I weasel my way into a suite. Matt but, said we're coming now anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm going to reserve. I'm going to reserve. I already have it set I up. I thought that's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the cost Joe of admission. Who's coming back? <laughs> Baby, let's go. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I was in Fells Point two years as a branch manager. Then I moved to be a commercial branch manager at uh, at our kind of our headquarter location downtown. Um, and then I was there for a couple of years, and I was promoted to be a uh, regional manager. So I oversaw the branches in Baltimore City for what, seven seven or so years. Um, yeah, and that was interesting, and just leading people and managing people at a, at a younger age was yeah, a huge learning process for me, yeah. uh, coming out of, yeah, coming out of school and thinking about, okay, it's just about like making people happy and creating a fun, engaged work environment, which is very true, but there's a lot around accountability, structure, process, caring for people that I just had to learn 
throughout the throughout the uh, throughout the years. And then, um, yeah, that was a huge learning experience when I stepped up to be a regional manager because I was no longer in a branch with a team and like can see everything that was going on. I was stepping away, and I covered thirteen branches and had a hundred or so employees underneath me. And so you can't be in every spot at every time and. Mm-hmm. trying to look at the numbers and, and manage the numbers, but also managing by going side by side with the managers and the bankers to, to coach in that way. So yeah, that was a, a huge, huge learning experience, um, stepping from the manager role to the, to the regional manager role. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, just recently I switched over to be a, a business banking relationship manager. So I went from leading and managing people to now working directly with small business owners, ranging from startups up to, $30 million in revenue. And I was doing that before as a branch manager. And I, I coached my team and met with clients as a regional manager in the business banking space. And I love doing it. Um, but this was a kind of a shift over to a different division, just focused so, focus solely on, on business banking. So it's been, a, uh, it's been an interesting journey over the 15 years, but always with M&T Bank. Yeah, I lo- love the bank. It's been a great, great place to work. Uh, but it's been an interesting journey over 15 years. Yeah. So t- talk to me about the caring for people. Um, what does that look like different amongst different people or in your career? Um, you know, for, for Beltway, I've learned a lot about how to care for people. And I'm not saying I'm an expert at it at all, but I've realized I think the biggest thing is what well, one cares for one person doesn't mean the care for another. One person might need money. The other person might need time. The other mar- person might be words of affirmation. Another person might need a gift. So, um, what does care look like for you? Yeah, caring for a hundred and some people over time. Yeah, so it's like I said, it's been a journey. So when I first started managing and leading people, I kind of had the expectation that everyone would be like me, yeah. right? Like everyone would want to be cared for, like I would care for, and they don't. I I didn't need that extra level of motivation or coaching, so to speak. You told me to do something, I was on it. I would get after it. Mm-hmm. So when I became a branch manager, I just kind of figured that's like what other what's what people did. So I was um, pretty numbers driven mm-hmm. and didn't necessarily do a great job of connecting with my team and saying, "Hey, like, tell me about yourself. Like, what's going on?" I would start one on ones and just have like a report and the numbers there and be like, "Okay, here's what we got to do. Here's here's what's working well. Here's what's not working well." And uh, yeah, I got feedback over the years of like, "Hey, Matt, you gotta." take time to connect with people and pause and be like, Hey, what's on your mind? What's going on? Um, and learning more about the person than about like the productivity. That was a, a huge thing. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to lead people if they don't trust you and they don't know that you care about them. And I'm someone who I care, but I don't always articulate that very well. Like Mm. I don't always communicate that. I don't, like I, my employees have told me that. My wife tells me that. Like I gotta, <laughs> I gotta communicate that. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah, having being able to just have a good conversation. I imagine it was also challenging being different, having different branches, right? Because you're not in person with all these people. Yeah, correct. And I, when I stepped into the regional manager role, I, I originally stepped into a role where someone had been there f- for a couple years, but she had. Um, retired and was kind of managing in a way where she wasn't as involved in the, in the branch. Like she wasn't visiting the branch that often she wasn't going on as many business meetings with the branch managers. And I'm someone who's like, Hey, let's do this side by side. We're going to go do it together. And I'm, I'm going to give you feedback and for the purpose of helping you get better, of course. 
but the team just wasn't used to that. So they were like, oh my gosh, Matt's coming here. Am I going to get fired? What's going on? So there was, and I didn't, I just, it was like, we were misaligned on kind of what the expectations were. So yeah, it was, it was a bumpy road initially because people were like, what's this dude about? And I'm like, hey, I'm here to help. But they just, they weren't used to that type of leadership. Right. Has that translated into doing business banking now? Like getting to know people, like now, now they're not employees. Yeah. But they're business owners. Yep. Yeah. So as I've, as I grew as a leader in terms of connecting with employees and taking the time to understand them, that translates very well to working with small business owners where I'm now being conscious of taking the time to be like, hey, let me learn about you as an owner. Let me learn about what's going on in your life. Let me learn about what's going on in the business. How do you operate? How do you make money? What are your challenges? So instead of just coming in and talking about products or pushing solutions, I start with, hey, how do I understand this person? How do I understand the business? How do I understand how they operate? So I can actually provide suggestions and be more of an advisor and a consultant than someone who's just kind of slinging products. Because I have no idea what products help someone unless I understand what's going on with them and their business. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a cool a cool shift for me in terms of leading people and connecting with people just as a as a manager as a, and as a senior manager going to like translating those skills, working with, with business owners every day. It's been an awesome, awesome shift. Uh, getting into the weeds of, you know, what you have to deal with day in day. I, I remember asking you, and I'm, I don't remember the answer, um, but I remember asking you about cash flow, you know, how much do you qualify for a loan? There's a number with, associated with that is the first question. And then the second question would be, how much does it matter that the person you that you trust or believe in in the person, you know, it's not it's not all just numbers, you know, is the second question. Yeah. So I'll start with answering the the second question. Okay. Um, so I I and a lot of others at M and T um, believe that relationships are very important. Mm-hmm. So understanding the person, understanding the business is a key thing, mm-hmm. and we have what's called the six C's of credit. And have you ever heard of the six, six C's of credit? Sounds yeah. riveting. I, I will, <laughs> I will drop the six C's of credit on you here. So yeah, there are some of the C's that go to like facts, but there's some of the C's that go towards the person. So let's see if I can name them. So we've got character. So character is all about the business owner, what they're about, what's their background, what their, what's their experience. I was actually just having a conversation with my underwriter today and we were reviewing a deal. And the thing she started off with was talking about the owner and their experience. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing that she honed in on. Before we talked about tax returns, before we talked about cash flow, she talked about the Who character the of the was. owner. Yeah. So character is the first thing. Next thing is capacity. Capacity mm-hmm. is your ability to repay the debt we're giving to you. Mm-hmm. So the business has to generate sufficient income mm-hmm. to cover the debt because we don't want to burden a business owner with debt. Mm-hmm. And we'll also have regulators that will come in and say, hey, why are you giving this company a loan if they don't have enough money to pay the loan back? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where that cash flow calculation comes in to where we want to have, uh, we call it 1.25 debt service coverage ratio. Mm-hmm. And that means we want a dollar and 25 cents for every dollar of debt we give someone on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. So that's capacity. Um we talk about collateral. So are we giving a loan that is tied to a specific collateral? Like what's the collateral worth? Is it um, a mortgage we're doing on a property? Is it equipment? So collateral. Conditions is like, what's the conditions of the economy? What's the status? Like how do, 
How's the economy? What's the industry mm. like? Like what what's going on there? Credit score is the fifth one. Like what's the person's credit score? Because that all comes in and kind of ties to collateral. And the sixth one, capital. So how much equity is the owner putting into the deal? Are they putting equity into the deal? Do they have to put equity into the deal? Mm. What's their what's their cash reserves? And what's kind of what's their balance sheet look like in the right. business? Do they have equity in the business? Do they have like what's their retained earnings looks like? So yeah, all that goes in to say, yes, we do look at the financials. The financials are important and there is calculations that we look at, but the character and like what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the industry matters a lot. So do you have to become, so you, you said conditions, so it's like the economy, that's yep. a big deal. That affects all of us, but then the industry, are you, so you got, have to become a student of each one of these industries, basically. Yeah. Not, well, not just the business owner's needs and wants and tension points you're taught you're you have to learn his industry or her industry yeah thankfully we have uh resources that helps us to do that so we have resources that we can go to the bank and say hey this is the overview of the the industry this is what the trends are and like here are some of the metrics that we we should look at like what's their what's the common leverage what's the typical leverage for this type of business um so that we have all these ratios that we look at so we can compare the financials of the business with like what the industry is um yeah and then we also have clients that are in the same type of industry so we can be like all right does this does this make sense in terms of the performance of a business in this similar similar type of industry so yeah it's nice to have the resources at our fingertip that the bank provides to have mm -hmm. the, the industry knowledge how's the economy doing you know, it's so it's it it's I would say it's shaky right now. There's a mm -hmm. lot of uncertainty uh, yeah. just because interest rates continue. are going up. Money's yeah, interest rates are increasing. Expensive. You've got the stuff going on with with the banks, Silicon mm -hmm. Valley Bank. Um, so there's some concern, like, all right, how stable is the economy right now? Yeah. Based on what I see from the clients I work with, people mm -hmm. feel pretty good about what's going on. People yeah. aren't. They're not investing or they're not doing stuff because of fear of the economy and mm -hmm. uncertainty around that where i see most concern is just around the labor market so i've i've had a lot of conversations with clients and they're unsure if they they want to grow because they don't they may not have the ability to to do the projects or do the work with the the, the people that they have currently and it's been tough to recruit people um so a lot of clients i'm talking to are talking about like the importance of retaining talent and making sure that people are, are taken care of. And yeah. do you feel like that's across the board or is there certain like, cause we're, we, we're often talking to blue collar, you know, um, professionals, the people that are, you know, they're technicians of some sort, but then there's like the, you know, the, the computer programmers of the world and things like that. So like, is it across the board that you're seeing this? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, um, have an engineering firm, they're having challenges. I was speaking with a dentist yesterday having challenges hiring people. So mm -hmm. it's across the board. Yeah. I have a lot of opinions on that. Um, Do share. Yeah. I, my opinions on the labor shortage is, is you know, and the heating and air conditioning specifically, there's not a shortage of people. There's just a shortage of good people. I can easily go get three alcoholics that do yeah. HVAC and show up in a white T-shirt. You know, I can easily do that. Um, but to find the guy who is what we call the beltway, you know, clean cut, you know, takes care of himself, takes care of his family, you know, takes, you know, is a good person. 
um, you got to pay them the most. That's that's really what it boils down to. You got to overpay your guys what you think they're worth. And not to say I think my guys are worth less, but you get to see how much they're actually worth if you're willing to pay them more. Um, so I feel like if you pay, and this is the same way with the uh, business Nate and I are looking into buying, it's not going to be our main squeeze. So we can, if the labor rate is higher on the P&L on that company, it's okay. Um, and I feel like I'm, that's why I'm most excited about the opportunity to buy in this company, potentially in a, you know, there's, we're in the way beginning phases of just looking at their stuff, but I think it's going to do really well because we're not going to care about it as much as we care about our own. You know, not everything's going to be on the, on the line like it is as our own. Um, so we can afford to pay a guy $3 more an hour than where he gets somewhere else already at the top. Okay. Go to the top and add $3, um, in the construction world. Um, I've done that pretty similar, similar to here. I mean, there is room for growth at Beltway, uh, as far as paying guys, but I do think that there's people who pay the top companies pay very similarly to what I pay my guys but they have a lot better environment to be in. But soon, I would say probably two years from now, all I have to do, I'm going to, we have a, we have a plan on how we're going to up it. But um, about two years from now, we will be the best environment and the best paid. And and problem of employees is going to go away. Yeah. And then the, and then we'll be big enough that time, three, four years down the road, where we're going to start our school and then we'll hire, you know, we'll we'll pay people to go to our school, and that'll be a whole another business model. I think the labor shortage is, is the toughest when people are starting out and they can't afford to offer the benefits. They can't afford like, why should someone take a risk on you? That's where it gets like real. But I think the bigger you get, the less friction you can create by just money solves a lot of problems. Yeah. Well, your point around finding quality people yeah, is spot on. Like yeah, you can hire tough. someone, but you've you've established a business and you've got a quality brand. You don't just want to bring on anyone if they can't do yeah. the job. And that's the same like this engineering uh, firm I was speaking with. Mm-hmm. They can hire a, a student out of college, yeah. but they're looking for another level of of an employee that they're just not getting from the student that comes out of college. And they're saying we got to train them for two years before they get to the point that we they're actually producing to the level that we want them to produce. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think with the with the pay thing too, like pay obviously is important. Like people want to get decent mm-hmm. pay, but. The other thing I think is important is the creating an environment to your point where people like feel good coming into work mm-hmm. and they know that their manager, their their boss, whatever, the owner cares about them mm-hmm. as a person and they like they're helping them advance in their career. Like if you don't feel like you're advancing, you're growing and the person above you doesn't care about you, it's not going to be a good a good situation mm-hmm. and you're going to have challenges retaining people. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're spot on with that. Yeah, just in my industry, it's like you go to the part house and the owner who's got alcohol in his breath and has a white shirt on, he's like, oh, there's no there's no good people out there and starts kicking the trash can, you know? And it's like, they are. They just don't want to work for you, man. Yeah. Um, and not to say that I'm any better, but, well, I'm not an alcoholic. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's why we talk about culture so much. Yeah. Um, Nate is the king of culture, man. I'll tell you that. He knows how to put a cycle loop in. He's done a very good job with that. I know it cuts you off, but I'm complimenting you, so just take it. Yeah, interrupt me anytime <laughs> you want to compliment me. 
<laughs> but I, I think I think that culture piece, it's really hard to measure. Um, one of the ways you can measure over a long period of time is your retention rate of employees. Um, but that's really, really hard to convince an owner that thinks that his employees are like um, appliances, appliances in his house, that he pushes a button and they do this thing. And then he only pays attention to him when, you know, the dishwasher is not doing its thing. The dishes aren't coming out clean. And then he starts complaining. People aren't machines and you got to treat them well. You talked about that earlier about learning that in leadership. I think you're a phenomenal leader. Um, and it's interesting to hear how you've grown and then more and more people were under your care. But I think culture is important. I think especially since COVID. Yeah. Because since COVID, people found out really quickly how... Uh, their leaders had to be more strategic in how to connect with them and actually how to see them when people were working remote. And then when a business owner could just lay people off and the government could take care of them, um, what companies kept their people and what companies laid them off, like yep. a drop of a hat, you know? And, yep. and that that's since COVID people, I think got a clearer picture of who, who they wanted to work for. And I think that's some of the, the, the churning of the labor, the labor market right now. Yeah. And I think culture kind of starts with defining who you are, like what's your why, what's your mission as a company. And then in challenging times too, like you have that why, you have that purpose, you have your mission to fall back on, like whether it be a corporate mission or your, or your personal mission. So, and I think that's, if you're, if you want to create a culture, you got to define like what you're striving for. And then you've got to create the behaviors and the activities that line to that, that purpose. Like that's honestly, that's one of the reasons why I've stayed at MT for so long. Like we're very clear on like what we're about and our purpose as an organization. And that's to make a difference in people's lives. So like if we're striving to make a difference in people's lives and everyone at the bank is about that, then that's going to ripple through the organization. And, you know, for the most part, I can say there's a lot of people at the bank who actually care about that. And, when we bring people in from other organizations, they're like, dang, you guys don't just talk about that on your commercials. And it's not just like a slogan. You actually feel it when you talk to the people. Like they'll go above and beyond to make sure a customer's taken care of or to make sure a teammate's taken care of. So yeah, we have that kind of defined as our purpose. And then there's behaviors that the organization has that we've kind of said, hey, these are, these are our values. These are behaviors. And this is kind of how the, the bank's going to operate. And yeah, that's one of the reasons why I've stayed at the bank for for 15 years. Cause I personally yeah. believe in that. Like, I personally believe about, we are here to help people, to serve people. So when the organization believes that and is aligned with what I believe, Hey, it, we're good. Would you say that that's MNT superpower? Is that what like defines them, puts, puts them apart? Yeah. I, we're a relationship driven bank. So our, our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives. And then we do that by understanding our clients really well, understanding who they are as a person, who they are as an owner and providing really good recommendations and solutions to help them out. So we're clear on, hey, this is our purpose, and this is how we achieve that purpose and, and understanding our clients. And you can't understand a client unless you're connecting with them and learning about them. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's I think that's what makes M&T unique. Um, some of the larger banks don't necessarily have that same strategy. Some of the smaller banks have a similar strategy, but we um, it's nice because we have the capabilities of a large bank, but we have that relationship driven approach that it actually we, we care about the clients we're working with we care about going above and beyond and we actually care about helping them do what they want to do so yeah i would say that's going to be the mt superpower yeah. it would be that and obviously every organization is made up of people and i think if you have people who care about that that's yeah brings it all to life 
what what's what could what can the average business owner ex, like what should they expect from their bank because because i've had different relationships with banks before and and what you just described hasn't always been what i felt yeah so like what should a business owner be um getting from their bank in that in that regard yeah they they should be connected with their banker at least once a year at least once a year like a person a person a person, not a, not a one hundred number. That's just kind of someone that you don't know who you're going to get. You should have a person to call to talk to. Say, I have a question on your account, or like what I like to do is sit down and at least once a year, and I try to do two times a year, is actually understand, hey, what's going on in the business? How are the past six months gone? What are the next six months look like? What are your goals? How do you plan to achieve that? How can I be the best resource for you in achieving that? Um, so and that that helps because I want to know what's going to be on the horizon. Like being reactive to things makes things really challenging when like we're trying to get things done in a crunch. So yeah, I would say if if you don't know who your banker is, that's, that's probably a, a, a challenge to to get things done. And because stuff happens, like stuff comes up, and if you don't know who to call, it's um yeah, it can just make things a little more difficult and a little more stressful. And it's it is pretty crazy. Like I've, I've been in this role for a few months now. Um, and even back when I was a regional manager, when I speak with clients or actually prospects of the bank and they're like, yeah, I have, I have no idea who, who my, who my banker is. Um, and I'm like, dang, like that's, that's that's too bad. But there's some people like, I don't care about that. There's some people who don't care about having a relationship and that's fine. Like, but it's usually, and they don't care until something goes wrong. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, exactly. and then it's like, wait, I got, I mean, I have, a, I have a good friend of mine who um, is working with one of the big banks and then it came down to, he had this business opportunity. It came down that he needed to get um, this loan taken care of. And it was like, yeah, it can, t- it's going to take weeks and s- sorry, we can't get you that check. Yeah. And he was like, wait, I've been doing business with you. I think it was like 15 years. And it's like, how, how can, you know, how can you just leave me like that? And so I think he ended up going to a smaller bank. Um, so, and then, but on the other side of it, some of the small banks don't have the horsepower to yeah. do what needs to be done. And I saw that during COVID as well. Yeah. Some of the smaller banks. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you have, when you have a relationship with your banker, not only does your banker know what's going on in the business that can help you in those times when you need money or something, but they can also provide I own how to protect the account from, say, for instance, fraud. Like that's a conversation I'm having a lot with clients now is, hey, fraud is out of control these days, check fraud, ACH fraud. So here are some things you can do as a business owner to limit the likelihood that that happens. And then things that we can do as a bank to protect the account even more by adding these additional services. So yeah, fraud is can really jack things up uh, when someone steals a copy of your check and starts creating checks and writing checks out of your business, or you have someone who's ACHing um, money electronically out of your account, and you log into your online bank, and you're like, "Where did this fifty thousand dollars go that was in here?" Like that stuff. That, that stuff sounds happens. like that sounds like a real story. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got stories for days when it comes to fraud. It's out of control these days. Yeah. Um, how should you protect yourself against fraud? I mean. Is this kind of a simple IT guy handle majority of that? Do you need like a big, some huge firm and pay a ton of money? So there's a a few things. Number one, I would pay as many things as you can electronically. 
So if it's web bill payments, ACH payments, even making payments by credit card, mm-hmm. you want to limit the exposure to your checking account. So even if you if you write a check, that check has your account number on it and your routing number. So if you pay someone with a check, you're opening up your account for someone to make a copy of that check or mm. take your account number and routing number and electronically debit your account. So do as much as you can electronically or through a card so you're protecting your, your checking account. The second thing would be to have these services that have like an extra layer of protection on the account. So the bank has services that help prevent check fraud, help the, help the keep the account safe from check fraud and then ACH fraud. So the bank has additional services that a business owner can use. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also business insurance and, it, and you can, you can get um, cyber insurance through your business insurance. So it's an extra rider that you could have on your insurance policy to help cover the the cost of fraud when it does happen. So I was just talking with a guy the other day who was like, Hey, are you seeing fraud out there in the in the business world? I was like, yeah, it's out of control. And he was like, you know, you can add an additional rider onto your business insurance policy that covers that. Mm. Is that happening to small and and medium and big businesses like alike, or some because some, some, one one school of thought is that when you're a small business, you're too small to be a target for that kind of thing. So here's yes and no. Um, so if you are a business that writes a lot of checks, you could be a small business that writes a lot of checks, or you can be a big business that doesn't write a lot of checks. But if you're writing checks, every time you have a check, that account number and routing number is on that check. So whether you're putting someone's putting that check in the mailbox, like people break into mailboxes, the blue mailboxes, and steal the mail out of there, and they're gonna make they make copies of checks mm-hmm. with your account number and your routing number on it. So the higher the frequency of check writing, the more kind of higher the the probability that you could be susceptible to fraud. So it doesn't necessarily matter on the size of the business. It's just like what's the type of activity the business is doing. Good. I mean, not good, but like, thank you for that clarification. That's good. Yeah. No, very cool. I think what the biggest thing for me is, you know, for me as a business owner, I think – MT is a great partner to have because um, they're big enough to get to you, but they're small enough to care. And, you know, you have that personal relationship. If I'm trying to make b- business moves because we have that relationship, you know, when you talk about the first C character, you'd be like, well, Ryan or Nate or whoever, I know this guy. He runs a good business. I've been ingrained in his business. And that matters in the conversation. Um, so that's a huge leg up. It's also great to support local, right? But because you're messing with bank and bank money and needing money and growing and you you know, when I started five years ago, I had no idea that, you know, we'd have a, a building and all this, you know, the stuff that we have. And I had no idea that a banker would be important to me. Um, so as time goes on, you know, that those relationships matter more and more. Plus I get a Ravens check card, you know what I mean? Little, little bird on it. <laughs> That's right. Maybe yeah, comes back in there. That's right. Yeah, and it's so as I've as I've kind of grown in the years at the bank, um, I I used to think that uh, within the bank you have like a the salesperson who's meeting with the client, and then you have the underwriter who's going to review the deal, and like there's going to be no communication between yeah, the it's two. It's going to be an email. It's like you just kind of put it in the black box, and then mm-hmm. the underwriter looks at it and like declines, approves. approves. 
Mm-hmm. It's been really cool as I've as I've moved over to the business banking division to see the collaboration between myself mm-hmm. and the underwriter to actually I can have a conversation with them and explain what's going on in the business, explain the nuances, explain the one-time expenses that may not be occurring every year that are impacting the cash flow for this particular year. Mm-hmm. And under, like explain the character of the business owner. So like that doesn't happen, I don't think, at other banks. Right. I wouldn't know because I've never worked at another bank. But like I was surprised just internally at MT the fact that we can pick the phone up, have a conversation, have a WebEx. I can even walk down the hall mm-hmm. to the underwriter's office and say, hey, here's what I'm looking at. What do you think? Mm. What are some questions I can ask proactively to make sure that we're in the best situation for an approval? Yeah. Have you had any super weird businesses that you needed to make a case for? You're like, this is just odd. This yeah. is an odd company. This guy takes fish poop and puts it in grass. <laughs> That's what your brain came up with? Yeah. That the second you said that. Certainly haven't had that. <laughs> haven't had that yet. No, no. fish poop. No fish poop. <laughs> no, I haven't had I haven't had too many odd odd requests come through. I did meet with a, a nonprofit organization. That oh, yeah. and this was part of what they did was they take compost material and they make they make bags out of it like a like a substitute for a plastic bag and I'm like wait so this is made out of like food mm-hmm. I'm like this is incredible yeah so, so like that, a bag you would put your sandwich in for your lunch the, does the yes. bag stink over time <laughs> no oh, cool. I guess it then that is pretty can, cool biodegrade quickly exactly. back to compost exactly just looking at the bag you would think it's a plastic bag yeah. But if you're really hungry, you can eat it. (laughs) You could eat that thing. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't ask that question, but maybe. Maybe. (laughs) It's healthier than a McDonald's cheeseburger. You forgot to put your sandwich in the lunch bag, but you just got the bag. So it's like, (laughs) ah, whatever. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess I'm often thinking about businesses that are like, you know, traditional, like, because the the space that I live in is like a service-based business that, you know, if someone came to you for a loan for, um, you know, an automotive repair shop or something like that, then it kind of makes sense straightforward. But if someone's got a new invention. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be a little challenging to figure out, like, how do we loan these people money? Yeah. Because this is unproven. Yeah. I actually was speaking to a guy a few weeks ago who came up with this technology that kind of looks at the back of an eye, someone's eye, and can determine um, some specific diseases that they could be susceptible to. And I was like, man, that's crazy. You developed that? And he's like, yeah, smart, smart guy. Um, and they're looking to build more of these equipments and oh, pieces of machine. And I think it's like $250,000 for a, a piece of machinery that they that they created. And I'm like, geez. So that was, yeah, a bit of a complicating, complicated deal to talk through um, just because there was so much, there were so many owners out, like, people who had injected equity into the business. So the ownership structure was you know, expansive. There was a lot of people who had ownership in the company. So it was yeah, a little more difficult than I anticipated. It's fun, man. That's yeah. that, I, I think it's fun that you get to hear people's stories. You get to be like on the cusp of hearing some of their dreams and their pitches. Um, I'm sure they're super passionate about what they do. And then you get a chance to um, partner with them to see like their dream come to life. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. I, um, I mean, I'm definitely someone who I care about serving people and helping people out. So when I can connect with someone and learn about what they do, learn about how they do it, I get some type of satisfaction when I can serve someone and, and help them with what they're doing. So it's been, it's been very rewarding. 
Who are who are your heroes? Ha. Ah, good question. Good question. Um so I've my mom and dad are are awesome. They uh they helped me get a solid foundation growing up. Um so like I have to throw my mom and dad out there, but recently, obviously as you get older, you kind of <laughs> move away from your mom and dad, but yeah, more <laughs> recently. So I'll throw out two people. Two mm-hmm. people, and they, they you wouldn't think these two people would be compared. Okay. So the first one would be Jesus. Great. Like my awesome. faith is is huge and has been uh yeah, nine years ago got connected with Mosaic, the church mm-hmm. that we go to, and it's been huge, huge in my life. Good. So Jesus and David Goggins. Okay. <laughs> so you wouldn't you wouldn't can, think no, those, but knowing you that makes total you sense. You wouldn't think so. those two people would be would be yeah, influence. But like, yeah, Jesus just in terms of like how I live my life and um yeah, just like how to how to approach people, how to approach pretty much everything about life. And then Goggins, yeah, I came across him in 2017 and he's just all about mindset and and helping you realize you're more capable of what you think you can do. And his big thing is like life is all big one life is all big a one big mind game. So life is all in your head. And if you can control what's in your head, you can control like how you respond to things. So he's all about like, hey, you got to push yourself further than what you can do because you're only at 40%. You can push past 40%. You're capable of a lot more. So yeah, I'm someone who like things rattle around your head. You always battle with like self-doubt, insecurity. And like, he's like, yeah, like, yeah, that's real, but you can't dwell on it. You got to get past that. Yeah. Yeah. He's all, he's in that um, ultra marathon space, physical, like he's doing, yeah, he's pushing a lot of physical limits. Yeah. When but I, they apply, but it applies to a lot of things in life. Yeah, I heard the podcast that he was on with Rich Roll back in 2017, and he was like, I ran 100 miles without training. And I was like, get out of here. 100 mm. miles without training. And that just like, something flipped in my head to be like, this dude can run 100 miles without training and like almost died, broke his legs. And I get fired up about that. I don't know. It's mm. weird. Like, people are like, and that's you're, weird. Like, you're doing I'm it like, next month, right? I'm or like, a couple months. You're, you're doing a big- Yeah, I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be. I'm signed up for a race <laughs> June 3rd. Okay, yeah, so um, you shifted away from getting hit in a, in a football game and you towards like sports like mountain biking or running, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. So I, yeah, finished playing football and I was like, I want to stay in shape, but I don't want to do stuff that's going to, I'm going to hurt my body. So I didn't do like flag football. I didn't do intramural sports like that. So like, I don't want to, I don't want to break it, my bone or twist an ankle or like mess my knee up doing stuff like that. So I mm-hmm. like, just like started running and you I got mountain. mountain biking though. <laughs> Thankfully, no, no injury. But like no injury through yet. running, I, I essentially like ran my my knees into the ground. I had had knee surgery back mm. in 2020, and I was out for several weeks. So I'm trying to like get back to the path of, of running again. So you may be like, well, why do you want to go run 100 miles if you tried to do that before and you hurt your knee? And I, I guess that's why David Goggins I, is. I, I'm, I'm watching it wash over your face now going, yeah, why do I want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> no, I see him inspired. He really wants to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. awesome, man. Very well, cool. How do people stay in touch with you, man? And like what you're doing, if there's somebody listening, it's like, hey, I would like to have a better relationship with my bank and I want to talk to Matt. Um, how do people stay in touch with you? Yeah. So email, cell phone, I can get, share my cell phone number. Sure. And, yeah. Yep. 443-465-8348. Again, 443-465-8348. So that's my cell phone number. You can give me a call, shoot me a text. You can email me, mbalecki1 at mtb.com. And then, um, yeah, LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I just, 
I just started improving my LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, my LinkedIn performance, I guess you can say, over the past few weeks. Not, I had not been a huge fan of LinkedIn or social media, but I figured because I'm connecting with so many people, I should probably start getting on LinkedIn. So, yeah, that's yeah good. cell phone, good. email, LinkedIn. Sweet, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Um, you're a good leader um, and you care about people and you just happen to do it with banking. So thank you. I think, it's, I think people get a lot out of it. So thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you.